single week as a, as a rhythm, rhythmic practice within the life of our church is that we stop and we spend some moments in silence and stillness and we're asking that God would make himself known to us in that moment of stillness and silence and part of why we do that is because I don't know about y'all but my heart and mind is filled with frantic stuff all the time you know and I ain't paying attention to God and I love to pay attention to God with y'all and what, what helps with that is, is being still in your presence. And so let's do that together and that we would all ask God to be present with us as we hear the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for entering into this world in the person of Jesus. And you don't, you don't stand at a distance from what we experience, but you come into the neighborhood. Uh, and even further than that, Lord, by your spirit, you come inside human beings 
to comfort, to help, to stabilize, but most of all, to, to remind us that we were meant, uh, our souls and our bodies were meant to be in your presence and to enjoy you forever. And so uh, as we navigate um, the, tumultu- the tumultuous things that we experience in this world and what that causes inside of us internally, would you bring us back to the awareness that you're here and you've always been here and you, you want us to, to be calm in your presence. And so would you do that for us right now in Christ's name? Amen. I love this Psalm, Psalm 46, probably the most pivotal Psalm for me personally in uh, how I navigated COVID And the reason why is because all of the Psalter, and Psalm 46 kind of embodies this, all of the Psalter says that there are two basic realities at play, always, always at play in our our existence. And I think whether you believe in God or or not, you can probably agree with this, uh, that the felt reality that you live every single day, it's always evolving, it's ever-changing, it's tumultuous, it's unpredictable, and it's very, very hard. To, to navigate how to process all that's happening around you, how to respond to it. And so you live your life in the midst of your week through, through all that hardship. And then there, and, and how, you, how you respond to that is oftentimes in fear and anxiety. And then you will have these moments of, uh, we'll call them transcendent moments you know, bliss, where it, it actually feels like in, the ex, in your experience, like things are going to be okay, that my, my life is, uh, is okay. And you can have this experience, whether, whether you believe in God or, or not. And there, there's a great movie called Shawshank Redemption, where uh, Morgan Freeman talks about this, this experience where the main character, Andy, locks the prison guards in this room so that he can play this Italian opera song over the intercom very loudly for all of the prison prisoners to hear. And he, he does this, and the prison, the prison guards are like knocking, trying to get in, and he's playing this opera, and all of these, all these prisoners are in the, in the courtyard locked up, and they're transfixed at the, at the speaker. And Morgan Freeman, his name is Red in the, in the movie, he, he says this, and I think it's one of the greatest lines in any movie ever. He says, I have no idea what they were singing because they were singing in Italian. And frankly, I don't want to know. Some things can't be expressed with words. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those prison walls dissolve. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. The testimony of Scripture is that the human soul was meant to find freedom in the presence of God. And that those moments that we long for is actually for you to get back to God. And that you have brief little tiny glimmers of that. Even in the midst of all the grayness, the drabness, the brokenness, the anxiety, and the fear, the clouds break. And what God says is that I am made for you, and you are made for me, and it's coming. It's coming. Now this song, this, this is a, Psalm 46 is a song, a song. 
sung by these folks called the Sons of Korah. You know, they were the musical family in ancient Israel. And what they're singing to uh, Israel and to themselves is that God sits enthroned as king over all the troubles that you will ever face. And he's not aloof from the things, the tangible things that you experience in the most blatant way that you see that throughout the course of history is that God comes into the world in the person of Jesus and experiences all the things that human beings experience so that he can actually say, I am present in the midst of all of your trouble. I'm a very present help in this world. And the scriptures say that this is where anxiety comes in. It's when we don't or we won't believe that God is present and sovereign in the midst of all that. And how that plays itself out in our lives when we don't believe that God is present, a present help with us, is that we will look for that help or that bliss or that, trans- that transcendence in all sorts of ways. Vacations escape through things that we can create that give us relief. But sometimes, and this is where it gets really tricky for us, sometimes it just feels safer to be worried all the time. Sometimes anxiety is kind of like a warm blanket that you put over yourself when you feel really cold. And it feels protective. And the reason why we do that is because when you've been hurt repeatedly or when you've experienced continual amounts of trauma and pain, it's just like I can't, I can't move through this world without trying to protect myself. And some of us haven't even had the privilege of, of even getting an escape or going on a vacation are trying to get away from the chaos. And, and that's why underneath anxiety and worry, what drives, it's a subsidiary of fear. It feeds on fear. Primarily the fear that nothing matters and everything's hopeless. And what this psalm says is that there's another way to live. When you believe in the God of Jacob, And it says that God, you know, when it says that God is a very present help, that's actually the Hebrew word for wives, Ezer, a very present help in times of trouble, a refuge. You know what a refuge is? A place of safety. And this psalm offers a way through life that no matter what pressures you face on the outside, you actually can. This is possible for a human being. You actually have the possibility to stay calm in your inner life, no matter what happens on the outside. The, um, there's a great book by several authors, secular analysts of um, what to do when you have very in- important conversations. The book's called Crucial Conversations. A woman named Emily Gregory, Carrie Patterson, and a guy named Joseph Grinney, they, they say this is a very bold claim. You might disagree with it, but I think it's in line with what this psalm says. They say this, secular analysts. Emotions aren't foisted upon us by others, nor do they settle on you like a fog. Others or circumstances don't make you mad or anxious, but you make yourself anxious and mad. You and you alone are culpable for your emotions. So you only have two options. You can act on them or be acted on by them. You can find a way to master them or you will be mastered by them. 
So, what does that mean? Um, allow me to uh, do what I experienced growing up. Baptists use props, okay? Um, kids, look at me. Uh, watch this. And I want you to answer a question after I do this, okay? See that? Why did water come out of the bottle? Okay, okay. Good, good. All right, one second. All right, besides the drops. <laughs> did water come out of the bottle then? No. Okay, why? Because there wasn't water in the bottle, right? All right, y'all, this is hard. Look, uh, what, what these analysts are saying, what the psalm is saying, is that the reason why anxiety comes out of us is because it's in us. Because it's in us. And part of life is to be shaken by God so that it empties out. And so that you can know and actually experience and believe that God is with you. And that you aren't, you aren't made to live with fear inside your heart. Now, it's very easy to uh, have an example like that and be just so filled with shame. That's not the point of Scripture. That's not the point of the Gospel. What, what we're doing here today is, is seeing how Psalm 46 helps us to process and navigate through our anxiety so that we can, of our own volition, be emptied of it and be pointed to the Lord Jesus. And that takes a remarkable amount of thought and practice. And this, this psalm starts by helping us face our underlying fears, like what we're actually afraid of. One pastor said, he said, a lot of times my anxiety functions like a, a bunch of really loud, angry sounding dogs underneath the floorboards of my house. And he says, I think what God wants me to do is go down underneath the floorboards of my home and kiss those dogs on the mouth because he wants me to learn that they don't have any teeth. And that's what Psalm uh, 46 verses 1 two, through 2 are saying. Look at that text. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This, this psalm gives us the ability to know which fears are actually driving us. And so these sons of Korah are saying, take the most foundational and impenetrable thoughts that you can possibly have. You know, mountains, the earth itself, the sea, uh, politics, very powerful nations. And it calls into question, if all of these things devolve, if all of those things crumble underneath you, what is still true? What is still true about your existence? What is still true uh, about God? Prior to COVID, there was a, um, a guy named Richard Pratt that we had collectively among churches in town uh, for a missions conference. And Richard told this story, and I can't remember if it was like in front of everybody or at Laszlo's when we went out with him 
one night, but he said that he was in India with a friend of his that was a, a secular Jewish guy, wasn't a Christian, and he had a house in India, and they were over there visiting a certain area of India, and Richard got really, really, really sick, like bad sick, um, and was in, it was in his friend's bathroom. And I don't know why or the circumstances behind why they didn't go to the doctor, but he said that he was, it seemed like he was about to die. And his buddy came in there and he's like, Richard, you're not like, it doesn't look like you're going to make it. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I am. And then he just said, um, I, I'm okay. I'll be all right. And his friend, when he observed that, said, I, I want whatever you have that helps you face your death that way. I want to live life and to face death in the way that you did. Now, my question for, for Richard, and just like the secular friend of his, how did Richard get there? Like, how, how, did, how was he able to face that level of uncertainty and chaos with his own life? And I think uh, it's because Richard had access to another reality which very much informs how he handles the present, especially in intense situations like facing death. Look at verse 4 and 5. In the midst of chaos, please look at verse 4 and 5. This is what's true as well. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Think Richard had access to that place in the midst of fear. And therefore he wasn't afraid. I want you to do a little thought experiment with me, okay? And just go with it for a second with me, okay? Um, what if there was a person who knew you better than your parents knew you or your best friends, maybe even a little bit better than you knew yourself. And this person wanted to sit across the table from you and they knew what you liked and what you didn't like. They knew what you'd say and, and what you wouldn't say. And you didn't feel hemmed in, but it just felt free. Like you didn't have to explain yourself. And you could tell from their face and their demeanor that this person wanted the best for you and they were just sitting across the table from you, look, looking at you, undistracted. At peace in your presence. And they were just happy to be with you. And you didn't have any sort of thought about, about someone else as you were sitting there. And you weren't worried about what someone did to you. Or didn't do. And there was no fear of what could be about to happen in the world or your family and even all the bad things that you experienced and you had done in this life actually brought you to that exact moment across the table from this person who knew it all and that person had been lovingly observing you from a time before you were even the you that you know look if that was your future that could not be altered. How would that change your perspective in the present? Like if you actually believed 
that there was someone who wanted you in that way, how would that change the anxiety within us? When you read the New Testament, don't you just get the sense that Jesus wants to sit down with very lonely and broken people, scared, that he is the embodiment of verse 4, that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her, and that place is your, is your true citizenship. That's where you belong, ultimately. That's when you get little glimpses of transcendence and bliss. You're, you're like, my heart is groping for that, says the book of Acts. That everything is groping for that experience with God. That it needs him, it wants him. And that morning has dawned in the Lord Jesus, in the Son. Now he is that gentle um, but this psalm also says that he is fierce. He's a fierce king because he's the true king. He will inherit the nations. The book of Isaiah says that nations are like a tiny grain of sand on a scale, which is interesting to think about if that's God's view of the United States, you know, or other countries. And he here, you know, he he says that the true king is so powerful that when when like tumultuous times are going on on earth, like when nations are fighting and raging and crumbling, uh, like in in Psalm two, says that the true king, when he hears the the other kings and queens laughing, that the true king laughs louder, and that he is the one that is truly enthroned. Verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. To come and behold the Lord is uh, never really having more answers to your present questions. But it is realizing that God is sovereign over all the bad in this world. That's a hard one. Wars, abuse, divorce. And this is always the crux of the issue in life. And the best question that there is no adequate answer for really. That how can God be good in the midst of so much terror? In the midst of all the brokenness that exists outside and within myself. And so how, how do we come and see what the Lord is doing? Because you may be at a place in your life where you're like, yeah, you tell me I'm not supposed to be scared or anxious, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've sat through. You don't know what people have done to me. And you're exactly right. But there is someone who does know, who was struck, who was derobed, and he did not retaliate. And he does know that he's sovereign over your story and over his, over individuals and over nations. And I, I want us to become cognitive of how we stay aware of God when things seem to crumble around us. When nations rage, when kingdoms crumble, when we are mistreated, verse 10. Verse 10 has been somewhat a life verse for me. And when you do put it into practice, this will happen. 
God becomes a fortress of safety for you. To be still and know that I am God. And it's quite simple in the end. To be still and know that God is God can actually transform your anxiety or your trauma. It can help you deal with the irreducible fact that everything, including you, is falling apart in the physical realm. And this is how. When you are still and you are quiet, things become clarified. You guys know this. The distractions fall away when you can like Maybe for like a second, you get away from this thing and you're just still. You realize in that moment that you are a creature and that you're limited and that you're finite and that God is God. And when you invite God into that stillness and you actually want him there, He will show you how to be calm, housed in his fortress of care and love. And what he teaches us, y'all, in the midst of that is that there is a resurrection reality that he's calling you to that is truer than your felt experience right now that will last forever. And it's offered to you here in the scripture And God is constantly wanting to call you into that greater reality. Not as an escape from this one, but as people of the future that belong united to him. And so that you can look at the mountains being dissolved. You can look at the sea moving into, you know, nothingness and the foundation of the earth that you walk on underneath you dissolving. And then you say to your heart and also look at the God of Jacob. And when all things are humbled, he alone will be exalted. He alone will be your fortress. So that as Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, he says, when you feel anxiety, you need to cast those anxieties onto the Lord because his sovereign hand cares for you. And so put it on him. That's what singing does. This is why singing is a part of worship. This is why we sing during worship. You know, Martin Luther had a, had a really close friend named Philip Melanchthon. And Philip was renowned for being an anxious soul. He, uh, he had a deep struggle with worry and anxiety. And they, they had reason to have worries because there was this thing called the bubonic plague back then that killed a lot of people. And it was worse than COVID. Um, and also the mounting pressures within the church during that time. You know, they were trying to stand up for the gospel. And uh, they were getting death threats constantly. And the upheaval of trying to lead this thing called, called the Reformation. And, and Philip Melanchthon, he would just constantly have anxiety. And so Luther is famous for having said uh, when he would spiral, when Philip would spiral into anxiety, he would say, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th song. <laughs> and that's where the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, came from. There's a line in A Mighty Fortress that says... Um, The prince of darkness grins, that's the devil. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. What is the word that will fail the devil? It is the word Christ. Christ our king, Christ for us, Christ in us. 
The person who has come into contact with the gospel, with Christ himself, is someone who has given up control of their lives willingly. Because you've seen that even the evil done by the hands of human beings, God uses for the salvation of the world. And though there's a lot of questions we have with evil and why suffering has to hurt so much, what we really need when we suffer how we really process pain is that we don't want God to take it away. I'm convinced of that. I think what we want is for God to consecrate it, to make it holy, to prove to us that it matters. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus shows us that God does consecrate suffering. And he calls us into that same pattern of life of humility and exaltation in his son. And when we follow that pattern willingly, we will be glad in the end. We will be glad that we weren't in control of navigating the ship that we call our existence. We weren't in control. And when we sit down at that table across the table from our king, we will understand that all things have led to this point. And all manner of things shall be well. And every detail led us there. The good and the bad. And I think, hopefully, in that place, um, we'll laugh at ourselves. (laughs) We won't take ourselves so seriously. um, Because he's just that good. There's a, this an older illustration that I've um, used before, but Sarah and I went to a wedding once in Fort Worth, Texas, and it was one of the, like, spare no expense weddings, like, out of this world nuts, you know, money. So downtown church, and they had this reception at an art studio, very modern, beautiful place. It was like, you know, people bringing moist towelettes, and like, what, what do you need? You need a drink? You need some food? What, what do you need? And so, like... Like midway through the dancing, everyone's like blood sugar is low. And the, these waiters and waitresses, I'm not kidding, they, they brought by miniature grilled cheese sandwiches and these like, these like chocolate milkshakes with some whipped cream. And you know, you're sipping on them like this. And I'm like, I'm like having a moment with Sarah across the table. And I, I, just, I just had this thought. I was like, Sarah, I'm so glad that like I wasn't a part of the planning of one ounce of this party. Because if my plans had gotten in there, it would have made it so much worse. This is perfect, you know. And I I do think that when it's all said and done, you have to get to a place in your life where you say, God, I am so glad that I wasn't a part of the planning of my life. That it was perfect in how it played out. That's how he gets glory. And you see how that just, I mean, it puts a knife in your anxiety. If you come with that approach that God God really is sovereign over it all. When I realize I'm not God in my life, it can actually be enjoyable, lighthearted. Not because there's still not chaos or hard things, but because he sits enthroned over the good and bad. And it's okay. The psalm says that you weren't made to live in chronic anxiety. 
in your, your limbic system right now, your amygdala is saying, oh, yes, you were. Oh, yes, you were. In a broken world, sure, sure you got to have boundaries. Yes, but that's not your true self. That is not your eternal self. Your true self knows that you have a God that will protect you forever. And you don't have to be afraid. That when all else crumbles, and it will, God is slowly inching you towards himself and saying, come back, come back to me. Come, rest, settle yourself and know. The main thing, we, we don't have to know, we don't have to be him. God says, you can be you and you let me be me. And you can have peace. You don't have to be afraid in the midst of trouble. Um, you know, as we, as we head into uh, all sorts of things as a community, but also as the people of God in the midst of the world, what would it look like for us to, to be settled in God's provision and sovereign care over the details of our lives and over the life of our communities? And if the church could be that in, in the midst of the world, how, how would that change us and how would that change our communities um, to be stable? Let's, uh, let's pray for that stability that the gospel brings. Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, so many good aspects of the gospel through each portion of scripture. And we thank you, Lord, for the sons of Korah. We thank you for people like Martin Luther and so many, so many others who have looked at the scriptures and said, this is how this has helped me through tumultuous times. And I ask, Lord, as we confess in and we hear the assurance of forgiveness,